Amen. Get out your Bible if you have one. If you don't have one, I want to get one to you today because we're actually going to be covering quite a few verses. I'm not going to be able to read them all, but I'm going to reference uh, quite a number of them. So on the Bibles that we have, uh, I'll be teaching from First Thessalonians. Actually, I'll be teaching from the Bibles that everybody has from First Thessalonians. And the one that we have, it's on page 987 up here in the front. So if you do not have a Bible or are new to the Bible and are unsure how to get there, just grab one of those and turn to page 987, and that's where we're going to be. We began a series last week called The Return. And uh, as I've already mentioned, Brandon started us off with a real bang, and I appreciated so much his sermon. I listened to it and was ministered to by it. And, and one of the things that he said that stood out to me was that he and I together, as we both are preaching messages in this series, are going to be pleading with you, begging you to live with a view and a sense of certainty for the second coming of Christ in mind. And so this is one of the things that Paul's doing in this letter to the Thessalonians. There's some confusion about what is going to happen or what has happened and with, in, with respect to the return of Jesus. And so, uh, so Paul is dealing with that. And so it's going to be fun the next few weeks as we get to talk about things like um, the second coming, also something called the day of the Lord. And so it's about to get interesting in, in that sense, because everybody likes learning about what's going to happen in the end, the end times and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's not new today. Uh, it's happened. Everybody wants to know when is Jesus going to return? Is he going to return? Has he returned? What does it mean when he returns and all that kind of stuff? So we have some work to do to get there. And what I have done is I've chosen to, to basically teach you at about a 50,000 foot level, chapters two and three, because Chapters two and three, uh, we can do a little fast track in, um, and then we'll get to chapter four, where it begins to be, become very practical. So we're, we're doing a seven-week sermon series prior to Advent, which starts December 1st. Okay, y'all ready for this? Everybody doing okay? Look to your neighbor and say, let's do this. Some of you didn't look to your neighbor and say, let's do this. Go ahead and do it right now. Here's, here's the big idea. Here's what I want you to understand and think about. Since Jesus will return, our lives must provide evidence that our message is true. Again, since Jesus will return, our lives must provide evidence that our message is true. Let me pray, and then we'll get into the message. God, I just want to ask you, God, in this moment, to take your word and to thrust it upon us. I pray, God, that it would get into our, our pores of our soul. And God, that it would begin to impact us and change us and transform us, oh God. And I pray that it would do that in ways that we weren't even expecting when we walk into this room, God. God, I acknowledge before these men and women that your written word reveals the living word, Jesus. And so in opening this word with these dear friends, what we're really doing is, is we're, 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 we're trying to look at the face of Jesus. We're trying to see contours and, and who he is and and what this means for our lives, God. And I just pray that this would happen. I just 
submit to you humbly and say, I need you, God. I need you in this moment to take this word and make it come alive in people's lives. We love you. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Paul wrote this letter to the Thessalonians. And as I've mentioned, he wrote it to deal with some issues, some misunderstanding in Thessalonica. But I want you to know that Paul also wrote this to clear up some confusion about his motives as a leader. He had opponents. He had people that were accusing him of being insincere and having false motives. This was fairly common in this day. There were people who were saying things, proclaiming things that over time were found out as false or insincere or as frauds. Does does that ever happen today? Yeah, right. I mean, we know people that, wow, we look to them as leaders and as respectable. Then over time, what begins to become true about them is that there's nothing true about them. And so here is Paul writing this letter to this fledgling church in Thessalonica. He's been a part of its inception or its beginning. And there's been a lot of conflict and difficulty that the place in which it was started, people outside of those that believed the gospel the first time, they weren't all excited that Paul was here proclaiming this gospel. They weren't excited that Paul had come and had begun telling them that there is a God and that, uh, that sin separates us from that God and that God has made a way through the person and work of Jesus Christ for our sins to be forgiven, for us to be reconciled to God. I mean, that's the good news of the Bible. For all those that repent of their sin and place their faith in Jesus, there is salvation. No longer are they counted as unrighteous enemies of God, but they become righteous children of God. So Paul was proclaiming this message all over the place, and there was opposition in Thessalonica when his message went there. And so when he left, when he was gone, he was no longer there, uh, there were opponents. There were people that were accusing him of, of like I said, of, of having false motives, Uh, He dealt with this a lot everywhere. I mean, certainly, as you would imagine, there are people that are ready to say something bad about good things going on. I mean, like today, there just seem to be some angry people out there. I mean, I see this. I ride my bike from time to time, and I never realize how really angry some people are until you ride your bike. Any other cyclists in the room? You know, that, that feeling of when you're riding down the road, minding your own business, and somebody comes up behind you and starts honking as if you've totally disrupted their day because you're on your bike on the side of the road. I'm like, why are these people so angry? Well, there are people in our day that are angry. They're just looking for an opportunity to be mad about something. Well, certainly, this is one reason they were saying disparaging comments about Paul in this day. They were just trying to mess up something that was good that was happening. And they did not believe or like the implications of what he was saying for maybe their own belief system. So they were ready to be critical of what he's saying of his message. Have you ever experienced this? Have you ever experienced someone saying something about you that wasn't true? Surely you have. What, what did you have to do, or you felt like you ought to do, when that person said something about you that wasn't true? You had to defend yourself, right? 
I mean, we can't always defend ourselves. We can't always going around trying to, you know, correct every misunderstanding of who we are and what we meant and what we're about and all that kind of stuff. But there are times when what's being said about you is so uh, wrong that you do have to make effort to defend yourself because it will disrupt the message that you have. And this is exactly what was happening to Paul. There are times when Paul is accused of being a false prophet. Well, you, somebody says something bad about you, you choose to defend yourself, and in that moment, what will you do? You, you defend yourself with what? With evidence, right? With, with evidence of why what they're saying is not true about you. Let me illustrate it in this way. Let me, let me try to get, get this in your mind this way. Um, read a story this week about this professor living in Austin. And this pro- professor has a particular interest in uh, renewable resources and not being wasteful. And that's right. Um, that, means, that means this is going to be a good story. Um, and, and he has this interest in renewable resources and not being wasteful and reducing your carbon imprint. You know, have you heard this kind of a talk? And uh, so what he's chosen to do is he's going to live in a dumpster for a year. Have you, did you read, anybody read this story this week? Yeah, a couple of you did. Um, so the story goes that he's going to live in a dumpster and, and it's going to give him, him an experience he can share about with others, about how you can live simply. He's going to, in some ways, uh, be able to talk about how wasteful people tend to be. And I don't think he's actually going to live in a dumpster that people are continuing to just throw stuff in. But it's an illustration, right? So imagine this. I- imagine he lives in this dumpster for a year. Six months after he moves out of the dumpster, somebody accuses him of being the kind of person that's wasteful or that doesn't care about the earth or, or that is, is negligent in his stewardship of his, what he possesses. I mean, imagine that happening. What would the guy do? He would defend himself. He would defend himself. And if he had the opportunity to talk to his accuser, he would defend himself with these words. I do care about the earth. I do care about renewable resources. Here's the evidence. I lived in a dumpster for an entire year. What? Yeah, I lived in a dumpster for an entire year. Here is the evidence. It proves something about what I believe. I mean, I'm not just talking about renewable resources, but I'm actually allowing my deep belief to affect my behavior. So here's what Paul is doing. He's saying, um, I don't want to just talk about what I believe, but I want to allow my behavior to reflect what I believe deeply. And so Paul's, what he's going to do in chapter two here is he's going to defend himself. Look here in chapter two, verse one. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse one. Now I'm gonna go kind of quickly and, and point out some things so you're really gonna to have to hang on. If you're new to the Bible, big two, and then I'll say the verse, which is the little number all along the way. So big two, and then we're going to start in li- with little one and go from there. All right. So here we go. For you yourselves know, brothers, 
that are coming to you was not in vain. He's going to begin defending himself. These people have accused him of being insincere or having false motives, but he's saying, hey, no, 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 no. Our, our coming to you was, was not in vain. It, it, it was real. It was purposeful. And here's evidence of it. Though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, first piece of evidence, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Here's the first piece of evidence. He's bold in conflict. In spite of conflict, in spite of opposition, Paul believes so deeply in what he's saying about who Jesus is that he's going to boldly proclaim it to the Thessalonians. We go on down to verse four. So look, skip down to verse four. Just as we have been attempted, uh, I'm sorry, just as, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, here's another evidence. So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. There's another evidence of how sincere he is. He's speaking not to please God, I'm not to please man, but to please God. He's not trying to flatter them. He's not trying to get them just to like him. Maybe you've heard a leader like that and you hear them say things that kind of stirs people up, riles up a crowd, gains some popularity. I mean, this is, happens a lot in, in politics. Uh, here's my political statement for the year. Um, it happens a lot in, in politics where the leader will say stuff just to win the, the majority approval. And if you're really discerning, sometimes you can say, I don't think he really believes that. I mean, because what he's really doing is just trying to become popular. Well, Paul's saying, hey, we spoke not to please all of these people. We spoke to please God. I mean, what we're saying is not all that popular. I mean, what we're saying is this, apart from Christ, there is no salvation. I mean, that's not all that popular. It's not popular today, nor was it in the first century. He's not speaking to flatter people. Verse six, we see another evidence. Nor did we seek glory from people. We weren't here to become popular. This isn't a popularity contest. Verse eight is another piece of evidence. We were, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. Here's an evidence that what Paul is saying is sincere and true. Not only was he saying something to them, but he was giving his life to them. I mean, here's a perfect example of this. Lawton sitting up here in the front. Lawton could say, hey, I care about these young men and uh, I really want them to meet Jesus and to know him and know that the heavenly father is, is, is awesome and can change their lives. But if that's all he did, we would say, oh, I don't know if you really believe that. But what he's done is he's given his life, he's given his life to them in some ways. I mean, he goes up there several times a week. I'm, this, you're going to lose your crown in heaven because I'm telling everybody you do this. But um, Lawton and Chrissy both, this is true of both of them. They go up there several times a week and they just hang out with those young men. They just love on them and share Christ with them. And there's evidence of it. If anybody said to me, Lawton and Chrissy don't care about people, I said, no, no, no. I have evidence because they've given their lives to a group of people that they care deeply for. Somebody came to you and said, you don't love your wife. You love your spouse. You don't love your children. You would say, no, 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 no. I do. I give to them. I sacrifice for them. I welcome them into my life. Somebody said to me, you don't love your kids. I said, I do love my kids, 
I mean, I've cleaned the throw up so many times. I mean, this is evidence of the fact that I love them. I've welcomed them into life. You know, I've given them everything that I have. Paul is saying here to his accusers or to the Thessalonians in, in defense of himself to his accusers. He's saying, hey, you can't accuse us of being insincere. Our message is so real and we believe it so deeply. We've given our lives to you. This is why actually I think it's really, really good for, for Jeannie and I to host a group in our home. We have home groups that meet. We have three of them, one in North Heights, one meets in our office in Midtown. Uh, no, four of them, excuse me. One meets, in my, uh, one meets at my house and one meets on the south side. And one of the reasons I think it's so good that one of those groups is in my home is that people are in our home, can see our lives. And I'm not just the guy that stands up here and says, here's what the Bible says, uh, but we, we're, we're required and willing to just give our lives to you. Because we believe deeply in what the Bible says about who Jesus is and how it impacts our lives. Paul says, we were willing to share our lives with you. We weren't being insincere or fake or fraudulent. And then look at this. If you didn't believe him now, he's got another piece of evidence. Verse 9. Remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to you while we proclaim the gospel of God to you. You know what he's saying? Is hey, we got a side job so we could afford to do this. This just makes me think of our three church planting residents. All three of them have other jobs so they can afford to live on the meager wage we're giving them. Why do they do it? They don't want us to apologize for it. Why do they do it? Because they believe deeply in the gospel and their sense of calling to, to help you see Jesus for who he is and for people that are outside the church in this area to see Jesus for who he is. Uh, Paul is saying, hey, we worked night and day. We proclaimed the gospel. And then we also, he was a carpenter or a tent maker or something like that. It earned a wage so that he could afford to put food in his mouth. He's sincere. We first planned the church. Andrew worked at Apple part-time and I, I started a business on the side so we could afford to live in the city and begin the work that God had called us to do. Paul's saying, you can't question my motives here because here's some evidence. I've worked, I believe so much in it that, that I got a side job to be able to help me to even live to do it. Verse 12, again, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Here again, he's saying, uh, we took time with each of you as individuals. Don't ever say that we're insincere or our message isn't deeply rooted in who we are and we have some sort of selfish gain because we believe in it so deeply. We took time for each of you. Some of you are, e- some of you are easy to hang out with and to disciple. Some of you are hard to deal with because you never return emails. That's maybe what he was saying. I don't know if he was saying that, but I, maybe that's what my translation says. Um, but, but we do it. We give to you. We love, we love you. We care for you because the gospels met us deeply. And here is the greatest piece of evidence he provides. And hang with me. We'll, we'll get to how this matters. Verse 13. We also thank God constantly for this and that we receive the word, that when you receive the word of God, which you have heard us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. Here's the greatest evidence that what Paul was doing was real. People accepted it. And we know from chapter one, verse five, 
Paul says, the gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. An evidence that what they were saying was real and true and Paul was being sincere is that whenever he preached it, there were some who by the power of the Holy Spirit received it, accepted it, and his lives had begun to change. This is one way I know, just to get back to Lawton and Chrissy here, this is one way I know that, that God's Spirit is on what they're doing because some of these young men have heard the gospel, received it, and their lives are beginning to change. They received the Word of God. Now, I want to just interject something because there's something important going on here. There's a lot of opposition at several levels here. There's opposition to Paul. There's opposition to the Thessalonians. And, um, and Paul says on two different occasions in chapter 2 and 3, he talks about an opposition from Satan or from the tempter. Now, just back up here for a minute. Um, godly people, people that trust Christ, have three enemies. Their flesh, her old nature. You know, Paul says in Romans 7, why do I do what I don't want to do? <laughs> you know that. Uh, there's the, the world, the, the, the current in the world towards disobeying God. What's applauded by the world and affirmed by the world and upheld by the world. This is in some ways an enemy. It affects you. Trying to turn you against God. And then there's this enemy, Satan. Satan, quickly, Satan is an angel and was one of the angels God created in the beginning, led a legion of angels to rebel against God, was cast out of heaven. So Satan and his legion of demons has a work, and their work is to disrupt the work of God so that people will not become followers of Christ and worshipers of God. Paul mentions these people who oppose him because really this is why he's writing this because there are people that are opposing him and what what Paul has said is, hey, Satan is at work to disrupt the good. Satan is at work to, to keep you from receiving the gospel and allowing your life to be changed. Satan is at work for you to look at this whole thing and hear this whole message and think, oh, that's just a religion. Oh, that's just what that guy thinks. Look here in chapter 2, verse 18. We wanted to come to you, Paul, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So Paul is saying to them, here's evidence of all that is sincere about me and true about me towards you, and I wanted to come and tell you face to face. I wanted to come and see you, but Satan has hindered us. There's been opposition. There's been conflict. And what he's actually getting ready to say is that Oh, let me back up here. You know, when you're not a believer, when you're not a follower of God, you have one enemy, and that enemy is God. So take your pick. You want God to be your enemy, or do you want to deal with the enemies of the flat, your own flesh, kind of the current of culture, and Satan? It, it sounds hard to, maybe it's hard for you to hear, but that's true. Apart from Christ, the Bible calls you an enemy of God, and you're going to be a recipient of the wrath of God when you die, unless you repent of your sin and place your faith in Christ. This is the Bible. So Paul has given them evidence of his life. We're going quickly here through a lot of verses. 
giving them evidence of what's going on in his heart. And then he says to them, I wanted to be with you. Maybe his accusers were saying, see, Paul doesn't even want to come and be with you again. He said, no, no, I want to be with you. I long to be with you. Satan has hindered us from coming to you. But finally, finally, I was able to send Timothy to you. Paul uh, has a, a Timothy who's a pastor friend of his that he's been discipling and mentoring. And Timothy has gone to them and Timothy has brought back to Paul a report. And the report is this, that there is evidence of the Thessalonian, the believers in Thessalonians having a sincere faith, right? So some might say, well, maybe Paul was real, but the Thessalonians are all fake. But Timothy has brought back a report to Paul describing their faith in this way. I've already mentioned chapter two, verse 13. They have accepted the word of God. And this is an evidence of faith. Will you accept the word of God for what it is? Or are you one of those kind of people that's always like, oh, I don't believe any of this and always finding a reason not to believe it. I mean, will you accept the word of God for what it is? Another evidence in chapter two, verse 14, look there in verse 14 of chapter two. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, Timothy has brought back a report to Paul. Hey, there's evidence of the Thessalonians being sincere in their faith. Their faith. We cannot accuse them of being false or being uh, insincere or fraudulent. We can't because they've, in their behavior, begun imitating the more godly churches, particularly in Jerusalem or Judea. Paul says in chapter 3, verse 6, look at verse 6 of chapter 3. Another evidence. Timothy has come to us from you and he's brought us the good news of your faith and love. Hey, we can't accuse the Thessalonians of being insincere in their faith. Look at their faith and love. Look at the way they believe in Christ and the way they love one another. And there's also prayer. Paul's acknowledging that the Thessalonians are regularly praying, praying for Paul and his ministry. These are evidences of their faith, faith and love and prayer. And then in verse eight of chapter three, they're standing fast in the Lord. Boy, this is an incredible evidence. Times have gotten tough for them. And rather than just walking away or cowering or bowing down or abandoning their faith, they've begun to stand fast. How many people do you know that have at some point in their life claimed to accept Christ, but then there begins to be conflict and difficulty and they just walk away altogether. It's probably an evidence that there was never truly a conversion in the first place. These Thessalonians are being applauded by Paul for the evidence that they're standing fast in the Lord. They're standing fast in the Lord. And remember where I was taking you from the very beginning. Since Jesus will return, our lives must provide evidence that our message is true. So let me ask you a question. What about you? What about your life can provide evidence that you have a sincere faith in Christ? What about it? What if you were being accused of insincerity? It might, it might happen. What would you be able to do to defend yourself? Just a couple of weeks ago, I had jury duty. Raise your hand if you love jury duty. 
Yeah, I actually love jury duty. I think it's fascinating. So I went into the new jury duty building. I don't know what it's called. And uh, if you've been there recently, they have a new building, and you, you walk down, and you walk through security, and then you are placed in one of these four or five rooms, and you just wait for your number to be called. And I was, I was praying, like, God, please. I, was, I wore very plain-looking clothes. I was trying to act really normal. Uh, I wanted to be picked. And so I got put in a batch of about 60 people that got to go to a criminal courtroom. And uh, we walked through, walked actually under the ground, which is kind of crazy. I mean, in my mind, I heard like this really epic music, you know, as I'm, I'm walking to the courtroom and I hear this really dramatic music. And I'm walking around, like wondering what this case is going to be. We get into the courtroom, we sit in rows, 60 or so people are in there. I'm number 53. And so I'm on the back row. And over the course of the next two or three hours, these, the judge talks for like an hour and a half, basically telling us about the process. And then the two lawyers, the lawyer for the defendant and the lawyer for the state, um, begin working us and trying to, to guide us to think about how they're thinking about the case. And so they're sort of, they're asking questions, trying to figure out if we're going to be picked. And, um, and, and I'm sitting there the entire time these people are talking. You know what I'm looking at? the defendant the whole time. I mean, I'm sure I creeped him out because he's sitting over there and they had not told us what he was being accused of and I'm looking at him and I'm just waiting for him to show some sort of evidence that he's guilty. I'm just waiting because I was, I might have just stood up and said, guilty! And then they wouldn't have been picked for sure. I'm looking at him and they're talking about this case. They're talking about to begin telling us about how he had been accused of beating his girlfriend and trying to kill her. I'm looking at him, and I'm thinking to myself, what evidence do they have that his behavior, that, that, that something in him is so broken, so bad, that he would do something like this? If you were in court and you were sitting in the defendant's chair, and you were being accused, let's take a positive angle. If you were being accused of being a non, well, no, let's let's keep it negative. If you're being accused of being a non-Christian, of not sincere in your relationship with God, what evidence would you have to defend yourself? Here are some questions. Are you bold? Paul is saying we were bold. Are you bold? I don't mean obnoxious. I don't mean hateful. Sometimes Christianity, we think that the most Christ-like thing we can do is to make everybody else around us feel small if they don't believe what we believe. I do not mean that. I mean, are you bold? Are you willing to share about your faith in Christ? Or are you a coward? Are you afraid that people reject you because of your faith in Christ? Paul said, hey, there's evidence of the sincerity of what we're talking about because we're bold. Does conflict or difficulty stop you? Will there be evidence of your faith? With an answer to this question, does conflict or difficulty stop you? When things get tough, 
do you immediately assume God is not good? When your life gets complex, does your faith and fellowship of Christ just get put to the side? Does conflict or difficulty stop you? Paul is saying, hey, in spite of conflict, in spite of difficulty, in spite of opposition, uh, we were sincerely proclaiming to you the gospel of God. And he's saying, hey, Thessalonians, in spite of conflict, in spite of opposition, in spite of difficulty, you stood fast. You were faithful. Another question. Are you seeking glory for yourself? Are you seeking glory for yourself? What would the evidence there be? Do you, peep, do you, is one reason you live out your Christian faith is because you hope people will notice you uh, for the wrong reasons? Are you seeking your glory or do you really sincerely want God to be glorified in your life? This is a great question for those of us that are church leaders. Something I have to ask myself regularly. Here's another question. Are you willing, have you been willing to sacrifice, to serve, to work hard so that the gospel is proclaimed? Have you been willing to do that? Is there evidence that your faith is so real that you've given up something for it? That you've gone out of your way for it? That you've been a little more selfless for it? Is there evidence of your faith and sincerity of faith? Someone accused you of of not really believing what you say you believe about Jesus. Would you be able to say to them, hey, I have evidence right here. I gave up this. I went out of my way here. I worked harder here for the advance of the kingdom and the proclamation of the gospel of God. One last question. Are you, or have you been, genuinely concerned about others? Have you opened your lives to other people? Is your faith sincere enough and real enough that you've opened your lives to other people? What's the evidence? If someone accused you, like they accused Paul, maybe even the Christians in Thessalonica, of being insincere, fraudulent, fake, What evidence would you have to prove that you sincerely believe that Jesus is the way to God? What evidence? Now, if you're like me, you hear those questions and you can answer no. There are times when I'm not bold. There are times when I'm scared. There are times when difficulties come and they stop me. There are times when I am seeking my own glory. I mean, just confession time. There are times when I really do want people to think I'm awesome. There are times when I'm not willing to sacrifice or to serve or to work hard when I know I should. Um, There are times when I'm not genuinely concerned about others. In fact, there are times when I really, really get angry at people. Maybe you're like me and you can look at those and say, you know what? I can't answer, I cannot provide evidence for every one of those things to the positive. There's one of two ways we can go right now. I can either look at those things and begin beating you up for them. Like, oh, come on, step up. But that's not what we're going to do. The no's to those questions provide evidence of a greater need that we have, and that is for a Messiah King Jesus. This is the gospel. 
Although we ought to aspire to be the kind of people who can live out our faith and provide evidence of how sincere we are and how we believe that Jesus is the way for salvation, whenever we're unable to do that, it just argues that we need a Savior. We need God to become flesh in the form of a man named Jesus because we can't on our own live holy, obedient lives perfectly 100% of the time. We can't do it. So maybe you're here and you realize, you know what? I think I believe, but there are times where I'm not bold or I'm not willing to be stick with it in the midst of conflict or difficulty. You know, what do I do? I don't want you to walk out of here feeling bad. I want you to hear the gospel and apply it. I want you to hear that you do not have to be perfect. Although God wants to do something in you through the spirit to make you the kind of person who can provide evidence to others, God has made a way in spite of your nose, your lack of evidence. This is why we have King Jesus. There's two things here that I want to say in closing. The first one is this. If you've never truly trusted Christ and you realize that your faith is not sincere, I'm not asking you if you have been to church or hey, I've been baptized, all that kind of stuff. That may or may not be evidence of the fact that you sincerely trust Christ. If you've never come to a place where you recognize that your sin separates you from God and you understand that Jesus has made a way for your sin to be forgiven, you've placed your faith in Jesus for salvation. That's called, uh, that is the good news of the Bible, that there is a way whenever you can't do it on your own. If you've never done that, then you can do it today. You can, in your own heart, have this dynamic exchange where you go from being an enemy of God to becoming a friend of God. Go go from being one who deserves the wrath of God to go to becoming a person who is a child of God, who will be a recipient of all of God's blessings in perfect time. If that's you here and you acknowledge that you've never truly had a conversion and you want to be converted to be a follower of Christ, then what you would simply do is say, God, forgive me for my sin. I hear that Jesus provided a way. I believe it. Now use my life. That that exchange, that simple exchange is supernatural and the most important exchange in the history of humanity. If you're here and you've never done that, do it today. And I'll lead you in a prayer in just a minute. For the rest of you that really want to be sincere in your faith, maybe you heard me say something about being bold or about allowing conflict or difficulty to stop you or about seeking your own glory, and it stirred up some conviction. So where we go from here is this. God, forgive me for the times that I'm not bold. I realize that this just means I need more of Jesus. Forgive me for the times that I get so weak in the midst of difficulty. Forgive me for the times that I seek glory. This is called having a contrite heart, a repentant heart. And you just acknowledge again and again, hey, I need Jesus. I need God to change you to change my life through Christ. That would be a proper response. Let's think about these things and pray together.